I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Peter Hart and I'm with... Uh, who am I with? Who's that big bloke? You're with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're on Zoom again uh, uh, because uh, because of COVID in the House of Heart. Uh, although I'm pretty well better, except for a slight cough, which may irritate the balls off you. Have you got any balls, Gary? No, but I've got a cough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, right, today, 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 we're doing HMS Invincible 2. From Heligoland Bight to the Falklands. Now, does that bring a thrill to your soul, Gary? Um, any sort of bite does, yeah. Yeah, you're black. Yes, yes. Yes, you've been biting quite a lot over the Christmas period, haven't you? Yes. Uh, now, we, we, we dealt with the genesis of the, the Invincible, which is the genesis of the Battlecruiser class, what the uh, what the uh, British called their super-heavy armoured cruiser thingies, called them Battlecruisers. And we talked about some of the obvious problems of design that people were talking about before the war we also talked about how the fact that bangy things didn't work can you just remind them why the bangy things didn't work because they um, unfortunately decided to be very innovative and introduce an electrical system rather than the tried and trusted hydraulic system so that every time they fired the gun they basically destroyed the uh, the systems. Yeah. So uh, they, they, when, when war came for eight months, uh, the Invincible had been in uh, Devonport in 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 the yeah for a refit. in the refit. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the guns, the bangy things sorted out. <coughs> now she was finished just in time, wasn't she? And recommissioned into the Royal Navy under a Captain Charles de Bartholomew. Ooh. Uh, that was the 3rd of August. So when we say just in time, the war had already started elsewhere. It's just us. We weren't quite in it. Uh, uh, but had it really finished or were there, were there still jobs to be done? No, no, no. The dockyard's still working around the clock at that point to complete the conversion of the gun turrets back to the hydraulic No, power. two, not back two. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, two. Yeah, you're quite right. Um, now, on the 5th of August... The 1,100 strong ships company joined the ship. Ah, oh, I bet they were right impressed. <laughs> well, not all of them. And I'm going to be Lieutenant Commander Barry Bingham. It's a very modern sounding name. <laughs> That's a very interesting you, name of HMS it, Invincible. It sounds like you should play darts or something. <laughs> a more hopeless looking ship than the Invincible, I never wish to be hold or commission again. 
Moored alongside the North Railway jetty, the battle cruiser was prey to some 2,000 grimy, oily dockyard mateys who were working like a swarm of ants in all parts of the ship. Streaming backwards and forwards between jetty and pier, some were carrying huge loads on their backs. Others were crawling up ladders and through turrets, one and all jostling each other in feverish activity. The noise was indescribable. Night and day the hammering, riveting and plate burning went on continuously. While the dockyard work continued apace, the newly birthed crew set about coaling ship and hoisting in ammunition and cordite to plenish the magazines. The ship was finally declared seaworthy and operational on the 12th of the month. Do you month. think the crew, not being army, do you think they would complain at having to coal ship and do all this work? Oh, they'd, they'd have been complaining the whole time. Naval types, eh? Now, uh, so uh, the, the Invincible was going to be a flagship, and she had on board uh, Rear Admiral Sir Archibald Gordon Moore. Uh, they get all the best uh, ranks in the Navy. Yeah, Rear Admiral. What a great rank. And uh, the Invincible was sent off to Queenstown on the south coast of uh, Ireland. And here, it's all a bit, this is early days. Uh, what, what's she doing there, for God's sake? Why on earth would anybody go to Queenstown in their right mind? Well, she was she was meant to be guarding against German battlecruisers breaking out into the Atlantic to attack the trade. Hang on, hang on, um, hang on. In that last podcast, didn't we say that all the German battlecruisers, with the exception of Blücher, that wasn't really a battlecruiser, were superior to the Invincible? Yeah. So th yeah, this is an it. early sign of overconfidence in the uh, Invincible. It is, but. Positively, she began and passed her gunnery Hooray! trials. <laughs> but she didn't hit anything. Now, uh, the the uh, what? So what's happening in the war at this? It's very early days. We're still in August, and 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 the Admiralty's a bit worried by a German raid that had occurred on the 18th of August on the Broad 14s patrol. Now, the where's that? Yeah, I had to look it up, Gary. <laughs> I'm not. As we often, I'd heard of it, and I was thinking, I remember that from when I was supposed to be a naval historian. But I had to look it up just before we came on, and it was the southern area of the North Sea, just above sort of the English Channel area. And uh, the reason it's called the Broad 14s isn't because it's a huge fat bastard like you. It's because it was uh, an area that was basically 14 fathoms deep. Now, how how deep's that, Gary? Uh, 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 carry three, uh, uh, eighty-six feet. <laughs> Eighty-four. <laughs> oh, it's close. Um, you lied to me. Obs. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the Germans have made a raid on on this on the patrol that was basically watching the approaches to the Straits of Dover. Now, how does the Admiralty react? And this is actually in accordance with uh, with the, uh, the the reasons for building the uh, battle cruisers. How does the Admiralty react? Well, they decide that the Invincible and New Zealand, together with three light cruisers, should be based on the Humber, uh, from where they were to act as a sort of powerful advanced cruiser force to support the patrol. What were they called? What imaginative name did they give them? Humber Hurriers? The Humber Harassers? What were they called? Was it something really exciting? Cruiser Force K. That's not exciting. I'm going to erase that from my memory at once. So, 
Yeah, and they were they were ordered to support a sweep by two destroyer flotillas into the Heligoland Bight, which was to commence on the early hours of Friday, 28th of August. Now, this is basically the heart, I can't say it again, Harwich Fort, uh, which was uh, under overall command of Commander Reginald Tyrrett. And it basically had two light cruisers and 31 destroyers and the two flotillas. And, and, and they were to sweep towards the island of Heligoland. That's just off the German coast. And then ambush... The, the regular German destroyer patrols, uh, which British submarines had spotted there, they'd, they'd revealed that they were operating in that area. And it's not a surprise. So what was the role of the Invincible in New Zealand? Well, they were there to lend heavy support from a position some 40 miles northwest of So Pelican they weren't Land. going into the, the actual... They, they were standing off and supporting. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And when Jellico learned of the operation... I, imagine, the, I can imagine how Jellico reacted. Well, he wanted the whole Grand Fleet to move up as distant support, but the Admiral, he vetoed this. Although they added uh, beat his three remaining battlecruisers based at Scarpa Flow to cover the operation. So what Jellico is worried that, that a small but valuable portion enough. of the yeah. fleet would be cut off. So he's operating as normal, uh, but uh, the, the Admiralty is stamping on that. Uh, right. Now, so screened that the Invincible and New Zealand, they leave, they, they leave Grimsby uh, on the 27th of August with four destroyers to act as their screen. And at four o'clock next morning, I presume that's the 28th, but I'm only guessing, they rendezvous with Beatty's... Uh, so what ships Beatty got with him? What names that roll across the tongue? Well, he's got the Lion, Queen that's Mary his and Princess Royal. Yeah. Fabulous. They're, and they are, they are, str- they are better... Uh, battlecruisers than the Invincible and Indefatigable class, but they've still got a, a lack of armour, haven't they? Um, still. But they've got big bangy things, 13.5-inch guns. Now, so they approach the bite heading on a southerly course. Uh, so the five battlecruisers together, and, and they basically mark time. Uh, how do they mark time? Um, they march up and down. No, they go round in a complete circle, <laughs> which I, I quite like the idea of them circling round, uh, from 8 o'clock in the morning till 9.30, maintaining a position roughly northwest of Heligland, uh, you know, and... Uh, and they, so they, they, they do that? They, they, they sort of go southwest for a period of time, at 24 yeah. knots for an hour... And then they sort of go back on a northeasterly course uh, until eleven o'clock, and and and, and, and they they are just maintaining the course, going backwards and forwards, circling, just asking about really. Um, what about uh, submarines? They're zigzagging to avoid the possibility of submarines because th- this is within known range of submarines, so they they have got their eye on that. Now. Um, well, what are the sea conditions? Well, it, it, do you know what? It's like the North Sea usually is. Uh, it's fairly calm because uh, it's not, you know. But uh, what is the problem in the North Sea? What is that problem that comes up again at Jutland and almost every other battle? Well, it's mist, isn't it? And uh, on this particular day, mist reduced visibility to as little as 3,000 yards. Now, the light forces, so Tirrett's uh, light forces run into the German destroyer patrols as early as 6.53 that morning and there's a, a, a confused action which is basically none of our business for this podcast we might come back to it uh it's quite successful the initial part of the action what do they manage to do well they sink one german destroyer and damage three others the german de- destroyers then retired at a high speed towards heligoland and the jade but the british they then find themselves in a hot action with german light cruisers sent out to cover the destroyer's retirement Oh, now this scatters the uh, the Harwich force uh, 
and they can't tear it, can't see what's happening, and they're starting to run short of ammunition because they've already been they've been in action quite a while now. Uh, and soon uh, the Arethusa and three of his destroyers are, are quite badly damaged. And do you know what? They're in they're in danger of defeat. The only reason the whole high seas fleet couldn't come out, by the way, is that there's a sort of bar, but they couldn't get out due to the tide till a certain time, which was later than this. So now, despite um, the risk of mines, submarines, a destroyer ambush and the possibility of superior German capital forces in the area, Beatty takes drastic action, relying on the high speed of the battlecruisers to get him out of trouble. Now, uh, uh, Lennon, uh, do, you think, do you think Jellicoe would have been pleased at this? Uh, possibly. Yeah, no. possibly. No, he would not. Uh, Why it's, it, it, it's rash in the extreme. I mean, oh, you just you li- mean. sorry. They, I thought you meant him trying to get out of trouble. I thought no. Jellicoe would be approving of that. No, but it's it, it's it's a risk. Oh, he turned south. Sorry, east southeast, and ordered his battle cruisers to steam at full speed to cover the forty miles which lay between them and the hard pressed destroyer fortunes. Oh, I see. Ooh. He's coming to their rescue. Yeah, and and that that is driving those his battle cruisers to severe danger yeah they could have been ambushed by destroyers they could all sorts of they could have run onto a minefield remember what we said about jellico this is exactly what he wouldn't have wanted i thought he was going to try and 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 leg it in modern parlance but no he's running towards them isn't he it's very beaty like thing one thing whenever you criticize beaty you could never say he avoids action uh, whether he uses his brain always is a different matter. Now, you're going to be Assistant Paymaster Gordon Franklin of HMS Invincible. It was just after noon that action was sounded on the Invincible, the first time any of us had ever heard the stirring call blown on a bugle in earnest. Sounds of firing could be heard to the northwest, and half an hour later the Arethusa and the third flotilla were sighted in action with an enemy light cruiser. Ooh. Mm. Now, uh, so so who's leading the line? Right, well, by 12.42, New Zealand and Invincible had fallen behind Beatty's ships. That's because they're slower, aren't they? Yeah. So when they're Lion com- opened fire at 12.50, Invincible was two miles behind, and by the time she came into range, the German light cruisers had been scattered and sent fleeing into the mist. Now, two of them, the Mains and the Ariad- Ariadne, I'm guessing, uh, they, they were already burning. They were sinking. They were wrecks, basically. So what, what's what's left for the Invincible to do? Any any target for the Invincible? Well, there was only one remaining target left for the Invincible, and that was the light cruiser Coin, which Colm, was on Colm, sorry, Colm, sorry, which was on fire and limping away to the north, uh, swinging out a line. Invincible watered course to port to pursue her prey. Oh, this is this is what battle cruisers are all about. So we're we're back in battle cruiser function, aren't we? Here we are. Uh, no, so what at, happens? Uh, what happens? At, what happens? What happens? I'm so excited. At 13.10, Invincible fired her guns for the first time in anger. Although the range was short, some 5,000 yards, none of the 18 shells she fired found the target. Hang on a minute. That, that doesn't sound good. Mm. But Cone's course led her back onto the guns of the other battle cruisers, which had turned north and circled round to port. And they opened fire at 4,000 yards, robbing Invincible of a kill. And I'm not sure they did. As they couldn't hit it, I'm not sure it yeah, could I'm be regarded. Sure. <laughs> and you're once more going to be Assistant Paymaster Gordon Franklin. Those ten minutes of the ca- cannonade must have been hell for the poor wretches on board, as our squadron's big guns literally raked her fore and aft. She quickly caught fire, turned over and sank with her colours flying. Destroyers were sent to pick up survivors, 
but they found none. We've had this thing before in naval actions when things go wrong at sea. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're lucky, yeah, yeah, it's everybody's dead. It's terrible. Now, the battle cruisers, they then covered the retirement of the destroyer flotillas westward before retiring back to port. Uh, west, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the yeah, they cover us. So the the destroyers head off the west. That's toward England, and yes. uh, yeah, and then they go back to their various ports. Yeah. Now Churchill described the action as a fine feat of arms, vindicated by success. Well, in in some ways, you see, this is a hell of a risky action, which is why people like Jellicoe would be worried. Why I think that this is, I think this action's madness, but it was a success. But on the other hand, what is that? What is that? No bigger than a man's hand on the horizon that might worry anybody concerned about battlecruisers. Well, why did it take 197 tonnes of high-explosive shells, that's 284 13.5-inch and 101 12-inch, to sink three small cruisers at almost point-blank range? Are you saying that the battlecruiser shooting was poor? It's not just the Invincible. They're all bloody useless. Well, it's not only that. The shells are, are also defective. So oh. instead of in what, what way? Come on, come on. What way? What? what well, why? What? How? When? Who? If you hadn't so rudely interrupted me... I apologise unreservedly. I accept magnanimously. Instead of uh, penetrating into the vitals of the ship before bursting, as they are designed to do, the majority broke up on impact, causing mainly superficial damage. That's not wow. No, that's and this is a it's again a problem that Jellicoe had warned about. It's a problem that was known, but nothing had that had been done. On the other hand, it does take time to redesign and equip a whole fleet with new shells, I suppose. Uh, wow, uh, it's a big problem. And it's not just one sort of shells, it's all the uh, heavier armament shells. Now, um, so so what else is happening? Well, af- after this action, gradually the North Sea starts to fill up with uh, minefields, German minefields, British minefields. And, and, and there's too many around the Humber, and it's no longer a viable base for battlecruisers, is it? So so what do, what do they do? So what happens to Force K? Cru- sorry, I must cruiser Force K. Well, how could I forget that? Well, on the 29th of August, the Admiral, he ordered Rear Admiral Moore to proceed to Rosyth, which was to be the future base of the aforementioned cruiser Force K. Or the, or the Rosyth Rumblers, as I would call them. <laughs> now, shortly afterwards, they're joined by Lion, Princess Royal and Queen Mary, together with Inflexible, which had returned from the Mediterranean. Oh, we've heard about that, yeah. Um, so Inflexible replaces New Zealand, yeah? And New Zealand goes to the first battlecruiser squadron. Why, why have they picked on New Zealand for that? Because she's pretty well the same as uh, the Inflexible or the Invincible. Uh, she's just got one thing that's slightly more, uh, that's better. Speed, faster. Yeah, she's just slightly faster than the others, which is basically just luck, isn't it? Because they're it all is. designed pretty well yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now the, the 10th of September, there's another raid. Very, sorry, i just come back to it. This is very early in the war. So this is still only a month after the war's been declared. This is very early doors. Yep. Oh, sorry, I know. You can tell that by the date of the 10th of September. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite. But aren't you impressed by the amount of things happening? Considering that people always think nothing happens at sea. Absolutely. Well, yeah. in fact, we've we've said in a previous podcast, very little happens. But, yeah, we but did there say is that. something happening. Yeah. Although now, in this particular case, nothing much happens. <laughs> now, on the 10th of September, there's another raid by the light forces on Heligoland Bight. 
supported as before by the battle cruisers, but this time with the whole Grand Fleet stationed within a hundred miles of Heligoland in case the High Seas Fleet puts to sea. Now that bears the imprimatur. How do you say that? It bears the uh, the, the sign of Jellico, doesn't it? It does. Now the various forces failed to meet. But many aboard the Invincible were impressed by the sight of the Grand Fleet when they rendezvoused afterwards. And you are once more going to uh, describe uh, what happens as Assistant Paymaster Gordon Franklin. And I want I want you to think of that film you liked. You know the Coronel and the Falklands oh, film yeah. And, yeah. and the Battleship? I want you to think of that film. I want to see a dozy expression in your eyes as I read this thing from Gordon Franklin. It was a wonderful sight that day, when after all hopes of a scrap had been abandoned, practically the whole striking force of the Navy assembled in a few square miles of the North Sea, and then (laughs) proceeded to manoeuvre and exercise. The ordinary spithead review with the ships anchored in seemingly endless lines is impressive enough, but here, with a flower of the Empire's naval might cleared for action, was a scene to baffle adequate description. And it's the it's the sheer essence of power, naval power, isn't it? That the Grand Fleet sailing in its columns and cleared for action. It must have been an amazing sight. Particularly in a few square miles of the north. See, <laughs> now, <laughs> as well, English, Rosyth, English isn't my first language. No, as Rosyth was uh, too far north for Rear Admiral Moore to support the Broad 14 patrols, it was decided to integrate Invincible and Inflexible into the Grand Fleet under the title of the Second Battle Cruiser Squadron. So they're going up to join them at Scapa Flow, yeah? Yeah, on the afternoon of 3rd of October 1914, they sailed from Scapa to take up a patrol line north of the Shetlands to cover Why? A, Why on earth are they going up there? Convoy oh, you're telling of me. Canadian troops from possible German battle cruiser attack. Now, this is a big role of the Royal Navy covering the gathering of troops from all over the empire, not just Britain, to get them to the Western Front. It is a very important role of the Royal Navy, isn't it? Now, the Um, weather was awful. Foul. And uh, you are once more going to describe what's going on by being Assistant Paymaster Gordon Franklin of HMS Invincible in the North Sea area. Well, I'm not sure it's not caught. I think it's higher than the North Sea. You can probably say that. You can probably say Atlantic, can't you? Our duffelcoats and balaclavas were very welcome. Day had ended with a vivid sunset. Blood-red storm clouds scudded across the face of the sun as it sank below the horizon. For a time, a watery moon fitfully shone through the racing clouds to be gradually blotted out by the rolling grayness. Then, in the inky darkness, the chill nor'easter. A chill nor'easter. Oops, pirate. Each moment blew stronger as the invincible, dipping her nose into the sea, took it green. (laughs) Over the length of the forecastle, the spray and spume reaching right up to the massive height of the bridge. Eight bells struck midnight. Muffled forms laboriously made their way up to the bridge, clinging for dear life to ladder or stanchion as they met the full force of the wind, tucking their chins, they're like you, Gary, tucking their chins farther into the necks of their duffel coats as the spray lashed them. From different spots in the pitch blackness, scraps of hurried conversation drifted astern. The watch going off duty were turning over to reliefs. Now, I I love that quote. I think that's... 
I mean, it's not fighting, but it just gives you an idea. And and notice how the sea smashing over the bow, taking it green. Although it sounds amusing to us, it means that the basic dirty great big waves are smashing on the the fronty bit, as to use a bit of a technical term. Why is uh, eight bells midnight? Why is why is it not twelve? I don't know. I've never understood anything naval. Those sailors have got minds of their own, Gary. They they follow their own path through life's mysterious byways. For ten days, Invincible pounded into the heavy uh, heaving seas of the great North Atlantic. <laughs> North Atlantic, Gary, not North yeah. Sea, eh? It may have been tough, but the Canadian convoy crossed unscathed. Now that's important, and I, I, you know this is in the credit of, of things achieved by the Invincible. Then there's a bit of a dramatic change. They've gone back, and 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 uh, on fifth of November, nineteen fourteen, Invincible Inflexible are at anchor at the Cromarty Firth. Oh, well, that makes me worried that they'd gone there uh, rather than the, yeah, um, yeah, never mind. Um, now, now uh, you're going to be Sub-Lieutenant uh, Stewart, uh, uh, who's aboard HMS Invincible, and he tells us what this sudden change is. What is this sudden change, Sub-Lieutenant Stewart? Received news that Admiral Sturdy was to hoist his flag in Invincible. Admiral Moore to shift his flag to New Zealand. Invincible and Inflexible to go to Devonport at once. We first of all thought that we were booked for the Mediterranean, but later received the following signal from Cromarty. Unofficial, Monmouth and Good Hope attacked off Valparaiso by German ships. Monmouth sunk, all hands lost. Good Hope ran ashore to burning condition. Glasgow seriously damaged, but is thought she was able to make for the nearest port. The report comes from the Germans and therefore must not be accepted as reliable. Well, in fact, it's worse now because, of course, we know the Good Hope was sunk. Uh, the Monmouth sunk good hope, all, pretty well all hands. The Glasgow had escaped. Um, now, at this point, there's a dramatic thing because uh, Admiral Lord Fisher has been re- called out of retirement, has become first sea lord on the 29th of October. Now, how old is that old bastard then? Well, he was at that point 74. Hmm, that's older than me now, and you always refer to me as near death. Yeah, he's hmm. very, very old. Does he, uh, does he take a, a calm, cold look at the situation? Uh, well, it, within an hour of the, the receipt of the news, he decides that the, the defeat at uh, Coronel, he, he dispatches the two battlecruisers. He acts immediately. Now, he why? He believed that they would annihilate Graf von Spee's squadron, not merely beat him. It was, after all, why he had had the Invincible designed and built in the first place. So that is to 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 smash enemy cruiser forces, yeah. uh, which was, by the way, well within the capabilities of the Invincible. There, there were five things needed. This is one of the things it could do. Um, now, uh, so uh, was the Invincible ready to go? Well, not not no, quite. It had a it had a quick refit refit uh, uh, described as a bottom scrape. Yeah, well, that's that too, that's too obvious to joke about. Yeah, coaling, uh, re-ammunition, and reprovisioning. And so it's just ready. getting ready. They're just getting ready, aren't they? Ready to yeah. go, and that takes a matter of a couple of days. Now, who's in charge? Who, so who is it? Uh, you mentioned earlier we in mentioned the quote, yeah, Vice Admiral uh, Sir Frederick Charles Doverton Sturdy. Do you think he was a public schoolboy? He's got he's got three initials. <laughs> no, he'd have gone to a comprehensive school, I think. Yeah. Now, he hoisted his flag in Invincible. What now, was he like? 55, what was he like? What's he like? What's he like? At age 55. A youngster. 
youngster. He was experienced, clever, but actually much disliked as a conceited pedant. Fisher had just dismissed him. Oh, so sorry, I, I, was thought, I thought you might be going to say something unfortunate there. Thank you. No, Kate. Fisher had just dismissed him as Chief of Staff at the Admiralty for the faulty dispositions which Fisher believed had caused the defeat at Coronel. In the first place, yeah. And this is what uh, uh, First Sea Lord Admiral Sir John Fisher said. Who's, uh, he said... Never such utter rot as perpetrated by Sturdy and his worldwide dispersal of weak units. Strong nowhere, weak everywhere. Now, that there is some point to this. That, he's that, not that wrong, really, is he? He's not wrong in some ways. On the other hand, if you're having to concentrate your best forces to face the high seas fleet, you're bound to have weaker forces elsewhere. It's a, but, but, but then there's a really strange thing, because who did... Fish, who gave Fisher, uh, sorry, sturdy command in the first place? Well, Fisher does. Uh, of of, uh, of the, 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 the force to sort it out. Well, Fisher does. He gives the command to someone he described as a pedantic ass uh, a chance to redeem himself. Doesn't sound very Fisher-like. I, I think there's more to this, uh, uh, but uh, we, uh, we we haven't got time to discuss the appointment in great detail. But it is it is a little bit perverse, isn't it? It is. Uh, now they set off on the 12th of November, uh, which is you know uh, only seven days after the first news had come in. So very quick refit, very quick sorting out, and uh, and they set sail. Now, now it's a long journey, isn't it, to uh, to uh, the Falkland Islands. Uh, even the modern task force to the Falklands in 1980, whenever it was, too, uh, yep. took ages, didn't it, to get out there. And, it, it, and are they going on their own? Uh, no. In the later stages, they met with the armoured cruisers Kent, Carnarvon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And Cornwall and the light cruisers, Glasgow and Bristol. So they meet them en route round the West Indies and places. Now they're heading for the Falkland Islands. Uh, and, uh, and was there any British naval forces left there, Gaza? Yeah, they they were guarded by the uh, pre-breadnought uh, canopus. Um, so that's uh, that's that's um, yeah, it's it's engines in a bad state. It's actually been run aground and was acting as a sort of fort, uh, really. Um, uh, anyway, now, now the uh, Falklands was to be their base while they hunted uh, uh, von Spey. Oh, poor old von and von Spey's in charge of the uh, the the East Sausage Squadron, the German Squadron. Gnais now, Scharnhaus and the rest of them. Now, um, on the way, <clears throat> they carried out some gunnery practice. Uh, now, why why would gunnery practice be quite important if they were going to meet the uh, the, the this German squadron, von Spey's squadron? Why why would well, it be important? The two ships, the Scharnhaus and Neisenau. Oh, I never know if that's Neisenau or Gneisenau. They were crack gunnery ships so the practice took place on the 30th of november and it was done at 12,000 yards this being the range where invincible's armor would be sufficient to resist the german 240 pound 8.2 inch armor piercing shells so this is uh, so they'd be pretty well impervious not that the, the vital parts of the invincible should be impervious so they could fire and destroy without risk of being destroyed themselves. Uh, yep. How did the uh, firing practice go? Th- oh, this is fantastic. Of the 32 rounds fired by Invincible at a target, only one hit was obtained. But the result, presumably because of near misses, was declared to be satisfactory. Hmm. Hmm. Now, 10.26 on 7th of December, which so that's, what, basically a month after leaving Devonport. It's 27 days it took to, to travel the 7,000 miles. The Invincible drops anchor in Port William. I had to look this up as well. It's the deep water anchorage of the East Falkland Islands. Oh, right. So it's, uh, and from here, from there, rather, there's a narrow entrance leads to a sort of shallow inner an- anchorage, or, or what I would think of as Port, Sta- Port, Stanley. Uh, Port Stanley, which is the main uh, the, 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 the port. Now, what would you have to do after that journey? What, what do you have to do first? What do you have to do? Uh, go ashore and have a drink? Uh, no, there's something else you have to do. What is it? It's time for coaling. Yeah, lovely job, isn't it? You've expended your coal in your, in your trip, yeah. So at 8 o'clock on the 8th of December, there's a shock. <gasps> what could this shock be? Well, one young officer was enjoying his breakfast, that, and I'm going to be... You're going to be him, because that's quite appropriate that you, you know, enjoying breakfast, that kind of thing. It's your thing, isn't it? I'm going to be Sub-Lieutenant Arthur Duckworth. Oh, of the Coronation Street Duckworths. Is that Vera's mum? No, Dad. <laughs> Vera's dad. Well, you never know Navy. Could be. <laughs> I'm going to move on. A black figure rushed in, announcing excitedly the two men of war had been sighted on the horizon to the southward. At first, this was regarded as a false alarm. We had heard too many rumours to pay much attention to this one. However, the fact that two warships were approaching the islands from the direction in which the enemy might possibly be expected sent one or two up to the tops to verify matters for themselves. These confirmed the previous report, and it dawned on us that there was something doing at last. So very, they're, they're, it's amazing, really. Now, Sturdy orders the colliers to cast off, 
and the whole squadron to raise steam for full speed. Now, is that a matter of pressing a button or is that a big job in itself? No, it's a huge job in itself. So at, at 9.19, there's some very precise times, I know. It's at 9.19, the beached Canopus opened fire on the two leading cruisers with her two forward 12-inch guns at a range of 11,000 yards. Now, this caused the, t- the cruisers to veer away to the east. Now, I like this because the 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 the, uh, the guns had been about to do a prior practice the next day and somebody had preloaded with a practice round and the shell that actually hit, it bounced. They, they, and the shell that actually bounced and hit one of these ships, didn't cause much damage, was actually the practice round. <laughs> they were cheating. Um, anyway, uh, what do the Germans do? What they should have done, people will argue, is carry on and, and catch them in harbour. Um and that yeah, might particularly have... as to answer your question, it was nearly two hours before the Invincible was ready to proceed, clearing harbour into open water after 10.30. That, so the, the, perhaps a Spies, von Spee's best chance would have been to just attack them in harbour. But that, that's, you know, you make a decision. And it's hindsight. It's hindsight. It's pure hindsight. Now, I'm going... Uh, no, you're going to be, again, Sub-Lieutenant Arthur Duckworth uh, on the Invincible. And, and what are you thinking... I was struck by the magnificent weather conditions and, seizing my camera, climbed up the mast into the main top. The air was biting cold as I and two signalmen, who were stationed aloft as spare hands, stood and watched the enemy 19 miles away to the southwest. Five triangles of smoke on the horizon. And there they were, the squadron that we thought would have kept us hunting the seas for many weary months. They had been, it seemed, providentially delivered into our very hands. All hands, not closed up at the guns, etc., were employed in cleaning as much of themselves and the ship of coal dust as could be possibly done. Now was the time to stow away anything of value and to put one's affairs in order, as of course no one knew what might happen to any of us. Now this was a stern chase, so they're following from behind, uh, trying to catch them up. And uh, do, do, the, do the British cruisers stay together? No, of course they don't. The battle cruisers move ahead. That's why they're, they're battle cruisers, not armoured cruisers. Uh, and they, 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 the battle cruisers, they're, they're faster than the German ships. So, so what happens? They gain, don't they? Inexorably, they do. inexorably, Gary. And at twelve fifty-five, uh, the first shot was fired at the lagging Leipzig by inflexible at the maximum range of 16,500 yards. And two minutes later, Invincible opened fire, but all the shells fell short. Yeah, it wasn't until uh, quarter past one, 13.15, sorry, that, that Leipzig's properly in range at about 15,000 yards. Now, at this time, von Spey takes, takes a dramatic action. What does he do? Well, he splits his squadron. Um, Leipzig, Dresden and Nuremberg turn to starboard. They're all the light cruisers. They're slightly faster. I know the Leipzig, the Leipzig was lagging, but they are slightly faster. They turn to starboard. So what what happens to the Scharnhorst and Gneisenau? Well, the clearly doomed Scharnhorst and Gneisenau turn directly into the path of the oncoming battle cruisers. They're covering the escape of the light cruisers because they had some chance of getting away. So uh, in this point, Sturdy splits his forces up as well. So what does he do? Well, Kent, Glasgow and Cornwall, they take up uh, uh, the, the, uh, the after the fleeing light cruisers because Sturdy was determined to stay beyond the range of the German 8.2-inch guns, that's 13,500 yards, but within range of his own 12-inch guns. About so 15,000, yeah. Yeah, so he swung his battle cruisers round 
into a parallel course with Sean Horse and Nisenau, 14,000 yards distant. Now, so basically, he sent off his heavy cruisers and light cruisers to chase the German light cruisers, and he's now on a parallel course, sailing the same direction and exchanging things. Fair fight, would you say? No, no, not fair. The battle cruisers had a combined broadside weight of 10,200 pounds against their opponents, 3,914 pounds. So the weight of broadside of the combined two ships is three to one. Um, So Invincible took on the Scharnhorst, while Inflexible tackled the Nisenau. Now, now, what, what, what's one problem that faces the uh, the battle cruisers? Um, well, it, it's a constant problem, but it's a particular problem this time. Yeah, it, it's the the thick funnel smoke and the great clouds of cordite gas belching from the gun muzzles. Belching <laughs> between them and the enemy. Oh, so you can't. So, so it's restricting your visibility for one thing. Uh, yeah, well, this is this is uh, this is a problem throughout the action. Now, what is von Spee trying to do, and why? Well, he turns towards the battle cruisers, uh, and with the range rapidly diminishing to twelve thousand yards, his third salvo straddled the invisible. So he's trying to get closer because his guns would be more effective at a closer range. Well, they'd be able to hit. Yeah, that they get within range. Now, you're going to be once again Sub Lieutenant Arthur Duckworth, who's obviously on the. So invisible. if they hit, then is that more effective? Oh, excellent. I'm once more going to be some Lieutenant Arthur Duckworth. <laughs> to me, the battle looked a highly satisfactory affair, with a real Hun target at last. But suddenly the target retaliated. Then, ah! for the first time, one realised that it was our turn to have a dose of shells, and one appreciated the situation fully. The familiar sight of a ship firing her guns now appeared unpleasantly real. Five columns of water simultaneously shot into the air all around the ship. At the noise growing louder and louder, one involuntarily ducked one's head. It was a relief to find that the first salvo had not hit, that they had straddled. Our turrets replied instantly, which sounded most heartening. The row was deafening. Enemy shots kept columns of water springing up just in the ship's wake or just short, everywhere it seemed, and yet there appeared to be no hits. The Scharnhorst and Nisenau both quickly closed us to do as much damage as their guns would allow them to at the shorter range. This was at once counted on our part. So we're once again turning away. We're not running away. We're just trying to keep them at a range where we can hit them, but they can't hit us. Uh, just a matter of range. Uh, uh, what about uh, the battleship, the battle cruisers, Gunnery? Is that good? No, it, it's it's poor, to be frank. And and would remain poor through most of the action till it's point blank. Now, uh, at 13.44, the Sharnos does hit the Invincible uh, with an 8.2 shell. Um it bursts against the side armoured belt. That's the, all along the side. Uh, does it do much damage? No, no, because that's probably the best part to, to, from from a, a, an invincible point of view for the shell to have hit the side yeah, armour. Absolutely. Uh, but sturdy orders are turned to port to move again beyond the range of the German gunners. So for 15 minutes, they're gradually drawing apart. Uh, until again the battle cruisers are beyond the maximum range of the German guns. Now, let's have a summary of what's happened. This first 30 minutes of the action, what's happened? Well, the battle cruisers had fired a total of 210 rounds of 12 inch ammunition. 
Out of these, Inflexible had scored three certain hits on Eisenau, while Invincible could only claim one probable hit on Charmhurst. Even when they hit, the defective ammunition reduced the effects. Then Eisenau had just one 8.2-inch gun put out of action. And at this rate, they're going to run out of 12-inch shells before they sank the Germans. Now, at 1400, Von Speed tries to escape. He turns sharply away to the south. He's trying to get some clouds on the horizon to disappear from view. Uh, poor visibility is really his only chance of escape. Uh, and then what's coming up? What would come up? What else would help him escape? Nightfall. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what does Sturdy do? Well, he swung his battle cruisers round and gave chase at 24 knots. The pursuit lasted a full 40 minutes before the range was finally reduced to 15,000 yards and the battlecruisers turned slightly to port to bring their broadsides to bear. So still at extreme range for the battlecruisers, but out of range for, for Von Spey. Uh, what does Von Spey do? He's got no choice, really, has he? Well, because of that, he has to turn back and place his ships in the path of the oncoming battlecruisers. Sturdy parried with a turn to port and once more, the two squadrons faced each other on a parallel course, broadside to broadside. Now, um, the, the battlecruisers, they're still suffering some adverse effects from the funnel smoke, but they begin to score hits. <laughs> Practice makes perfect, eh, Gary? Uh, at 1503, the range is down to 11,000 yards. Now, that's once again within range for the Germans. Uh, the, and in fact, they could bring their secondary batteries. What are they? 5.9? Yeah, 5.9 into action. Now, for a quarter of an hour then, Invincibles hit quite a lot by both 8.2-inch and 5.9-inch shells. And she does suffer some damage. And she does. And you're going to be, once more, Paymaster Gordon Franklin. On board, the noise was simply deafening as round after round left the muzzles of the 12-inch guns. Up in the control position, from time to time, could be heard the cry of, Six coming! Or, Five coming! As flashes of fire on the enemy ships announced that a salvo had been fired at us. Seconds pass, and then came the whir and shriek of the shells and a final huge rumph, rumph, as they rained down in the, in the sea, just short or just over. Some found their billet with a resulting explosion. Now, so the the, the, the Germans are hitting, but uh, what's happening to the Scharnhorst and well, Gneisner? They're also suffering as the rain shortened and the 12-inch shells begin to slam home. At 15.15, the interference from the smoke playing havoc with the gun layers and spotters became so bad that Sturdy led the battlecruisers round to port in a complete circle which placed the battlecruisers on the windward side of the German ships. Ah, the so, so that means they could, the, the, yeah, they, could, they get a, a clear view. Yeah, for the first time. And... and now, Inflexible's leading the line. That's because they've got in the... Yeah, right, gotcha. Now, uh, Von Speer, he parries with a half circle to stop. We will put a map up of the action, but basically he's trying to cross the bows of the battlecruisers, crossing the T, remember, so most of his guns can fire and very few of the battlecruisers can res re respond. But with the smoke now lessened, the Invincible finally begins to hit and have a bit of an effect, doesn't she? Um, yeah, um, well... Now, Schoenhaus was, was almost hidden by the smoke from bursting shells and, intern, and internal fires. And this is how Paymaster Gordon Franklin describes it. 
Her upper works were a shambles of tall and twisted steel and iron, and through the holes in her side, even at the great distance we were at, we were from her, 12,000 yards, could be seen the dull red glows as the flames gradually gained mastery between the decks. Oh, but does well, she give up the Charnels? No, despite this, she keeps up a slow fire. One hit on Invincible almost proved fatal. Ah. Oh, hello. What's happening here, then? An 8.2-inch shell uh, struck the ship below the side armour under P-turret. It tore a hole in the side plating and broke up without exploding against the thinly armoured bulkhead, separating a, a, a coal bunker from the magazine. If the shell exploded and red-hot fragments had penetrated the thin internal armour surrounding the magazine, there's every possibility that the cordite would have ignited and the ship would have been blown in half. Now, it didn't. And and this is supposition in some ways, but at the time, after the, the action, they did think this was a real possibility. Hmm. Hmm. But in the end, it was all too much. And at 1600, the Shan horse guns fell silent. What state uh, was she in? Well, her funnels were lying at all angles. She was ablaze forward and aft, and her bows were so low in the sea that the waves were washing over the forecastle. Listing heavily to port, Swathed in escaping steam, she drifted helplessly out of line towards the tormentors, her flag still bravely flying. Well, then she gradually slips beneath the waves and uh, and uh, she takes with her Von Spey, Admiral Von Spey, a brave man, a brave man who tried his best and uh, I've got every admiration for him. Uh, 850 officers and men. Uh, any survivors, Gary? No survivors. And so... As you reek, so shall you sow. Uh, as, as you sow, so shall you reek. Uh, re- One of the things, anyway, this is just what happened to uh, uh, Craddock uh, aboard the Good Hope, just down with everybody killed. It's, it's terrible. Now, oh, um, uh, so what's happening? So the fire of the two battle cruisers and, and also the Carnarvon by this time's joined them. It had been cutting corners. Uh, who are they firing at now? Just well, they're Gnar- now all firing at uh, Gneiser now. So turning to avoid smoke and firing at a range of between 9,000 and 12,000 yards, they absolutely pounded her to bits. Now, by 1749, Gneisenau's a wreck, and she sinks at uh, 1802. Uh, now, th- they did manage to save some of them. Uh, about 200 were saved uh, in all. And, and you're going to be Sub-Lieutenant Arthur Duckworth uh, again. It was now 6pm. A drizzling rain had set in with a biting cold southerly wind. The sea had a steady swell. Away ahead of us on the dull leaden sea appeared a small pale green patch of water containing a clustering mass of humanity. While the wind brought brought dismal cries to our ears from the only survivors of the sunken ship. Both the Inflexible and ourselves steamed slowly into the midst of this mass, lowering boats and ropes. Cutters were now loaded with survivors. All round the ships there were floating bodies, some on hammocks, some on spars, some struggling, others drowning slowly before one's eyes, before any boat could reach them. Most were so numbed they could not hold on to anything and were helpless. Many were terribly wounded and mangled. Others seemed very much alive in the circumstances. On all sides one saw all our men hauling half-frozen bodies up the side and carrying them down to the Admiral's cabin. It was a truly terrible sight and one I hope never to see again. Uh, 
I can't remember how cold the water must have been. Freezing, lit- almost literally freezing. It must have been awful, awful. Uh, now, the Invincible, she picks up 111 men, uh, but 20 are found to be dead or died very soon afterwards from wounds and exposure. Inflexible, she got uh, 63 men, and the Carnarvon picked up 33 men. Uh, it's all over, isn't it? Um, now, how how do we feel about the performance of the battlecruisers in this? In, in, now, this was the very role for which Fisher had envisioned for, had thought of for them. I can't say envisioned at the moment. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, it's just what he'd done it for them. I mean, this is what they were for, isn't it? Um, yeah, so, so they had vindicated themselves, but it hadn't quite been the one-sided battle of annihilation that he wanted it had taken four and a half hours and about 1150 12 inch shells to sink the two armored cruisers oh, how did fisher respond after the action i mean well was he, he castigated sturdy's tactics as uh, dilatory and theatrical uh, now i think this is just bloody typical fisher who is a crazed old loon at this time i think sturdy had to keep the range extreme uh why, why close go why go to close range uh where where the german shells could damage him um uh i mean they, they could have been really badly damaged and after all we had that shell that penetrated and and near, could could perhaps not nearly but could have blown up the invincible as it was so and surely why take any chances at all? He held the trump cards, didn't he? Yeah, he had better guns and he had better speed and equal armour. How many hits did the the uh, the, the British battlecruisers score? Um, well, this, this is only an estimate, uh, but it's estimated to be 74, which is 40 on the Scharnhorst and 34 on Neisenau. That's not many out of 1,150. And it might even be an overestimate. So why so, so few? Why? Why, Gary? Let's talk about this. Why is the gunnery so shite? Well, as we've mentioned before, poor standard of shooting of the battlecruisers due to the long range at which the action was fought, a range at which they'd had minimal practice. The only time they'd fired at ranges in excess of 6,000 yards was during the practice on the way south to the Falkland Islands. The practice we talked about then. That was the only time. And had they hit anything in that? One hit, One, the Invincible. Think, yeah. yeah, that's it. Now, what else? We took, We mentioned the other things, the interference from the the. the, the cordite smoke and the funnel smoke so that that is a, a you know it's just getting in the way but that's partly the design of the ships and where the control towers and things are but that is a reason why they didn't hit very much uh what other problems well also it, it, although it had been changed over to to the hydraulic machinery there were problems with uh, with that and uh, uh invincible's gun turrets because they 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 caused jamming and misfires, and, and both caused delays. So they start putting it out of action, but it, it's not bloody helping, is it? Um, um, I, pre- I presume this was mainly because the, 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 they hadn't bedded down. When new machinery is fitted, and it had only been fitted a couple of months yeah, don't before. Forget, they, they left as soon as it was done. Right. Uh, now, there's another reason why... Uh, what, what, and this isn't on the British fault. Uh, uh, what, 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 why, well why were the Sharnos and Ganizano so difficult to sink? They had excellent watertight construction. As, as we mentioned, they had the bigger berths back in Germany so they could be made wider and have more bulkheads. So they, they were excellent. And then there's the poor bursting qualities of the British shells. The British shells are faulty. Now, how many times was the Invincible hit? And this is quite, you know, quite she a lot. She was hit a total of 22 times 
that's 12 8.2 inch and 6 5.9 inch and four unidentifiable hits. I suppose he didn't, yeah. Now, what she got was two flooded bow compartments uh, and then this, the flooded coal bunker next to the P-Turret magazine. Yeah, now, that that's dodgy. That was dodgy. Uh, she ended up with a 15-degree list to port, but the damage is, as it happens, superficial. Are her fighting qualities impaired? No, no, not at all. Now, incredibly, in addition, not one of the ship's company was killed, and there were only two minor casualties. I like the minor casualties. Tell me about these two heroes. Well, Commander Townsend received a badly bruised foot caused by a bag rack falling on him when a shell burst nearby and a stoker cut his arm while fighting a fire. So that's not too bad. Uh, perhaps we call a lucky invincible. Why don't we know the stoker's name? Oh, that's, that's things. Now, uh, because uh, Inflexible had been hidden behind the smoke of the Invincible, she only got uh, three hits. Uh, uh, I think she had some kill, but anyway, we're not doing Inflexible, are we? Uh, now, what's been happening meanwhile? Because uh, remember, there's the other battle going on. Well, yeah, the Cornwall... Yeah. What do I... You tell me, you tell me. No, you, you... no, you go on. The Cornwall and the Glasgow had sunk to Leipzig, while the Kent had somehow... Because it was slow. I don't know how it caught. They burnt everything on the ship. They caught and sunk the Nuremberg. But the Dresden had escaped. Uh, so what did Sturdy intend to do? Well, he had intended to join the search for the Dresden with the Invincible just as soon as the flooded coal bunker had been pumped out and the hole patched back at the Falklands. But this was vetoed by the Admiralty who ordered Sturdy to return home with Invincible. The oh. battle cruisers could not be spared for the tracking down of a solitary enemy light cruiser. Now, that makes sense to me. It's it just not worth the, the, the thing. So uh, the Inflexible's also withdrawn, and that's sent to the Dardanelles. Uh, 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 um, the Dresden, what happened to her? Well, eventually sunk on the 14th of March, 1915. I think that was the Glasgow, uh, just uh, getting her revenge for uh, the Battle of Coronal. Now, Sturdy and his staff, they leave the Invincible on the 28th of January, 1915. They go, they're go, they going home on a P&O liner. That's lovely. The India, as it happens. Uh, and he was sent off uh, his reward because Fisher couldn't really get at him. He had one. He was sent to raise his flag aboard the Hercules. He was going to be commander of the 4th Battle Squadron within the Grand Fleet. Now, what does uh, Commander Barry Bingham of HMS Invincible think of, 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 of his departure as we stepped over the Invincible gangway oh he's going with him oh right yeah and walked down the dockside to the picket boat that was to take us out to the India the whole of the ship's company mustered on deck manned ship and led by Captain Beamish gave the Admiral three rousing cheers for my part, the leave-takings and these ringing cheers produced a reaction of the greatest depression. It meant leaving a good ship, in which I had been intensely happy, and above all, a wardroom of the best lot of messmates I have ever served with, where harmony and accord prevailed amongst one and all. Sounds like me and you. Harmony and accord between both of us. So in the end, Fish had been proved right, and his first battle cruiser was indeed invincible. Oh, was it, Gary? Was it? Was it? When can we find out about that, though? By listening to the next inciting, exciting, even exciting. In installment of the Invincible Podcast 3. Oh, it's called Doom at Jutland. Uh, oh, spoiler. Spoiler. Oh, sorry, Gary. <laughs> Now, right, you, mentioned, well, you mentioned the 1927 film uh, The Coronel and the Falklands earlier. I we mentioned heartily, that a lot. 
I would heartily recommend if you can get a copy of it. Uh, it it's relatively cheap uh, on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, have a look at it because you really can see the perception of British might and uh, uh, whilst some of the acting is a bit suspect, uh, the, the ships are, uh, are quite impressive. And once again, we recommend uh, Oscar Park's British Battleships, fantastic book, which is one of our main sources, and V.E. Tarrant's book on HMS Invincible, both invaluable to us. We're not experts in, in this stuff, are we, Gary? But we really like this naval, splotchy stuff. You've got a thing about sailors, haven't you, Gary? Cheers, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com code SUMMER. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?